While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. want to open with what do you want to talk about you want to talk about christmas travel you want to talk about christmas presents you want to talk about new year's resolutions christmas is the easy thing um new year's resolutions might be a good one for the first show of the year okay even though i don't think i'm gonna make any because i'm basically as good as i think i can be at this point (laughs) it's not that i it's not that i don't think i can improve myself it's just that i think that it's gonna be too hard to improve myself and you want to save this exact conversation for next week is what you're saying no we could go with it this week (laughs) we could talk about new year's resolutions now i mean it's it's new year's eve eve it is welcome to overdue (laughs) this is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew and Andrew is perfect. He is a cybernetic man engineered for your pleasure and mine. And there's nothing wrong with him. I'm not. Yeah, he's, listen, listen. He doesn't need to listen. improve himself at all. Listen. Uh, he can't, in fact. And 2015, he's just going to keep on keeping on while the rest of us try to slag off the rest of our grubby humanness uh, and achieve the level of perfection that he has attained. Or rather, he was uh, created into. I have okay two two points two really just really quick really super quick points. Are they zero and one? You the... robot perfection man. <laughs> <laughs> My first point is that I'm not going to disagree with you. My second point is that it's not. I'm not insisting that I'm perfect and that I cannot be improved upon. Just that I'm 29. I'm going to be 30 in 2015. I feel like, like, this is who I am. Like, I've, (laughs) I've done, I've played the self-betterment game for a while. I think I've done pretty good at Uh it. Uh Uh-huh. Done pretty well. And I think I'm just out. I think at this point I can just be who I'm going to be and not worry about it. That's 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 my game. That's my that's my jam for 2015. Is you're starting to feel the feet sink into the quicksand of middle agehood, and right. you're gonna, you're just throwing up your hands and being like, "Nope, don't toss me." Right? I'm like, I'm in the swamp of sadness, and I'm like, "Listen, horse, <laughs> I think you got the right idea." I'm going down. It's gonna take a long time. The sand is rather not quick. It's a misnomer. Well, it's not even, yeah, it's not even sand in the swamp. It's like a swamp sand. Okay, well, so, okay, so you're <laughs> you're like eleven months younger than me. So what it's are you? Ages you, back, man. Back you, here, we are like running miles. We're training for marathons. I'm yeah, like you, learning. I'm going to school. Dewy-eyed no, optimist. Like, what are uh-huh. you going to improve about your stupid self in 2015? If if you're taking you're taking so many you're taking so much umbrage. At my like, just, <laughs> my just being resigned to being the, the person that I am. See, I think the umbrage I'm taking is that my New Year's resolution is like maintenance. Like it's not like I'm not just like laying back and kicking up my feet and saying, "Hey, that's it, come at me." Like self maintenance or yeah, oh yeah. You're just saying I'm not gonna backslide this year. Yeah. <laughs> That's the resolution. It's the resolution all I can do to... to stay where I am. This is me in 2015. <laughs> My resolution is to tread water. My resolution <laughs> is to undo like some of this year. How about that? I yeah, feel 2014, like the... it's a rough was. year. Like I I posted this on Twitter earlier today, but last night I don't I don't know. I assume that I just left the car unlocked. When I unloaded the last of the Christmas mm-hmm. stuff from it, but mm-hmm. somebody somebody got into our car and took not all the change, but all the quarters 
Okay. We still have pennies and dimes and nickels, but they took Just all the, the quarters. quarters out of the change tray. Uh-huh. And stole the outdated GPS that we barely use because it's 2014 and we have smartphones. So they really needed to find a laundromat, is what you're saying. I I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying that people people broke into my car and stole my things, and I'm just like, okay, you got me. You can have it. <laughs> this one's on me. <laughs> I'm buying the pizza, guys. I'm have too, fun. Like I'm not. I'm more impressed than upset. Like, I'm just... <laughs> I'm not even mad. I I'm not. Even... No, I'm not. I can't. I've been so mad that I think I'm broken <laughs> oh, no. now. I can't. That's what this year has done to me. Well, um, on that note, let's liven things up a little bit with what we've come here to do, which is read and talk about books. Uh, ironically enough, this book show this thing that we do this podcast started as a new year's resolution so it's only fitting that was two years ago yeah we're uh, so coming up maintenance. on our second birthday like i said maintenance <laughs> <laughs> we gotta keep this thing going uh so andrew you read the book this week and what we do each week for any new listeners is uh one of us reads the book usually and they kind of explain it to the other person, and the other person asks obnoxious questions, and hopefully we all learn a little bit and maybe are entertained, maybe. So, Andrew, what did you read this week? I read Vladimir... Wait, wait. Vladimir... That sounds like the best Viking ever. Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita. Ooh. Is that the full title? Is his his name in the title? No, his no. Oh. It's not like a like Tyler Perry's Lolita. It's <laughs> oh no, Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. And I I'm gonna apologize in advance for my voice. I'm getting over a cold. Like this today's the first day of feeling normal after like four days of being all stuffy. So it's gonna be good. I'm gonna talk about pedophiles, and my voice is really hoarse. And I just I guess it somehow fits it's in fitting. in 2015 my new co-host is charlie brown and he'll be alternating each week with eeyore welcome i can't stand it <laughs> so, <laughs> so we need to talk about nabokov right we need to get sure. him out of the way sure. he is russian yep. but only sort of like he's not like right what tell me <laughs> tell me what's his deal okay. He's he you know he's born in Russia. He's a he's a native Russian. Okay. But um his Do You know when? Oh, uh he was born in I have so many dates and not his birth. He was born in 1899 and died in 1977, so he's 78 right. when he died. He had a pretty good run. Cool. Um <laughs> And yeah, he was he was born in Russia. He was trilingual actually. He he mm. Uh, did Russian and English and French, and um, he he moved around a lot in life. I guess like from country He's, to country. Yeah, from what I read, he was fleeing a lot of things. Yeah, he was all the time fleeing persecution. Um, he first his family first did that when he left Russia for uh, for Berlin. Um, on the heels of the Bolshevik Revolution. Yep, that's I think a thing. it was. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. actually, his his dad was killed. His his dad, who is a who is a politician and a prominent figure in his own right, was killed defending someone from an assassination attempt, which is which is kind of interesting. But yeah, it was just, it was a, it yeah. was a time of a lot of upheaval and and tumult in Russia, and so they yeah they fled. From there to Germany, and then, you know, Germany in the 1930s. Let's talk about what's going on around there. Yep. Um, well, and he studied in England, too, right? Nabokov did? Yeah, he studied all over the place. And, okay. Um, and, yeah, he, he in 1940, he left Europe for America. Like, he went from Germany to France for a little while. Um, his brother Sergei actually died in a concentration camp in 1945. Oh wow, I didn't know that. So, um, so yeah, his his 
I, I don't even is you can't even say his early life because he's like 40 at this point but yeah he moves to the <laughs> he moves to the United States and from there you know becomes mostly like a writer a teacher a lepidopterist which tell, is a, mm, what is that it he studies moths and butterflies Weird. I like that word a lot say that, say that roll off your just tongue. say it again just say it again lepidopterist hmm <laughs> I can taste the butterflies as you say it. That's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was—he was a you know from there he was mostly a writer and a teacher. Um, among his students were Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Thomas Pynchon. Cool. Okay. So obviously an influential, an influential guy. Um, his last unfinished novel was called The Original of Laura, and it was just published in 2009 in its entirety. You know, oh, it, it, its entirety such as it was. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, And it had been given to his son and his wife in as like a series of note cards, and scholars were allowed to see it, but it, yeah, in its entirety, it was only published a few years ago, which is which is interesting, because that's 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 not the first time that's happened in in recent shows for us. Oh yeah, a lot of the died in the sixties or seventies. Well, that was Capote we were talking. Yeah, it was about, Capote. Right? Yeah, yeah, and then thirty or forty years later, after people don't feel bad about rummaging around through people's stuff, we yeah. end up with a new book. Yeah, and and among his best known works are Lolita, which was actually written in English first and then translated by him into Russian later. And his his reasoning for doing that is that this book is so, it is a minefield. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, he just, he figured anybody translating it into Russian would inevitably butcher it. And so he just decided to do it himself. Okay. Um, yeah. Lolita was published in 1955. Um, his wife, Vera, actually... Um, you know, he, he wanted, you know, he wrote it and he wanted to get rid of it. I don't know what it is with these old timey authors and their desire to trash finished manuscripts, but he wanted to burn it. And she was like, nope, don't, don't do that. And And wasn't it like, it wasn't getting picked up anywhere. And then some random Frenchman like published a couple thousand copies of it. And that's why Graham Greene brought it to like, did you read any of that stuff? I know I didn't. I didn't know that. Tell me more. Um, so this Frenchman Maurice Giraudia, just my guess. It sounds like a battle cry. Giraudia. <laughs> um, he discovered it. Um, he just, like found a manuscript of it somehow, and he ended up publishing a couple thousand copies. And then Graham Greene, the author, found it and wrote a review of it in the London Sunday Times. Um, and previous reviews were pretty negative. Um, it had been turned down by a whole bunch of American publishing houses. <clears throat> and then once Graham Greene endorsed it, that kind of started the the landslide of people starting to regard it. Um, yeah, so and it's, it's, it's consistently yeah. been voted like one of the best books of the 20th century, so... So let's find out why. Andrew, what is up with Lolita? It's a book about a pedophile. Okay. Is, okay. So you said that twice. Wh- is that was that a big hang up? Is the does the book present it as a as a thing to be hung up upon? What is the how does the book wrestle with that? Okay. So we've read books about unsympathetic people before, I think. Like that that's safe to say, right? I think so. I th- it's rarer than than one might think, right? Right. Especially because, a spe- like a, a fiction that has any sort of subjectivity to it, tends to get inside that person's brain and then find some sort of, you know, sympathy. Right, and and that's that's usually the book the the um, tack that these kind of books try to take is they put you in the head of someone who society at least would consider a monster and they try to engender some kind of sympathy. This book mm-hmm. does not do that. Okay. Um he is okay, our our protagonist and I say that that is 
he's ugh, he is the protagonist. Yeah. He is the he is the main character of the story. He's, he's the main character of the story. I wouldn't call has... him. I guess I wouldn't call him a protagonist. Okay. Okay. Um. His his name is Humbert Humbert, and that's a that's a pen name. And the the whole framing device for this is that he is writing this memoir from jail. He's he's changing names to protect the innocent. I guess. And he does not want it published until he and the uh, the young girl in question are both dead. Uh, when do you find that out? Like, when do, is that like at page one? Is that, that is laid out? That's laid out in a fake forward by somebody else. Like, it's 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 oh, presented right. as oh, a forward, right. but it's like a fictional. It's a fictional thing from some sort of like psychoanalyst or something. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. So what's the deal? What 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 happens? What do we need to know so that we can start talking about why the book is important? It's just it's I think part of it is Nabokov's like command of the language. Like like the the prose in this book is very fun to read. Like he does things where it lapses into French and he uses um alliteration and it's just it's he writes in a way that's very engaging, but on the other hand, like I could, especially in the earlier parts of the book, I could read like a couple of chapters at a time before I literally had to put it down. Like I've, I've been talking about reading this book on the show for a while and it, it took me so long to get through it because he's just so repulsive. Like Humbert Humbert is the very definition of an unreliable narrator. Oh, that's important to know. Um, he, Everything in this book that you get is is from his point of view, right? So, and he's talking directly to the reader, right? He is talking directly to the reader, and often like speaking to them as though they are a, a jury, like judging him for the things that he has done. To put it in context, Andrew, is he is he defending himself? Is he explaining himself, or something else? It's a little of both, I think. Okay. Um, and yeah, he you know he does use the he uses the word jury in a couple of at a couple of points like he he speaks directly to the reader at a couple of points like he thinks that he is a good guy. Okay, he really truly sincerely thinks that he is a good guy, but he is consumed by his love for uh, this the term is his nymphets. Yeah, which uh, a lot of what I was reading about the book credits that with his creation or yeah. maybe Nabokov's creation. Even though it might not be, but it certainly in that in the world of the book is his creation. Nymphets are young girls and we're talking like 10, 11, 12. Okay. Who are super sexy to him. That's awful. Cool. Yeah. Oh my! <laughs> you can't even you can't even go forward. Oh my gosh! I don't think we've encountered something like this before. Let's this is, uh, let's just go into a plot synopsis. So we've got Humber Humbert. I was gonna ask. Hit hit me, hit me. We've got Humber Humbert, and he his his obsession with nymphets goes back to his first love, a, a woman named Annabelle, and she was very young, and she died. How old was he at that point? Um. I don't think it's exactly made. But he was an adult. He was very young. Okay. And I'm, I'm I apologize, it's been a while since I've been at the beginning of this book. <laughs> no, that's fair. I mean It's like it's, it's it's I they were teenagers, I think. It wasn't inappropriate at the time, perhaps. Like young teenagers. It, it's not inappropriate for them to be doing that stuff with each other because That's what I was asking. Yeah, all okay. teenagers have that phase where they're like discovering stuff about themselves and about their bodies and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought about just that process for a second, adolescence, and I got real grossed out. Like <laughs> just as you just said, figuring out things about our bodies, I just I threw up a little bit. In my That's mouth. A, that is going to be the hardest thing about having kids. If I ever have them, is that I know that I did this stuff. Oh God! But if I ever have kids who are doing that stuff, I'm going to be like, oh, oh no, I don't want you to do it. No. Oh, 
<laughs> welcome, welcome to future sad dad podcast. We're not even dads. Where we just worry about hypothetical children doing awful things. Not even uh, awful things. Natural just things. things. Natural things. Normal things. Things that they are going to do. I think you can still say natural and normal and still say that those things are awful. I think that's that's okay. It depends on your perspective, I guess. I feel I feel like I'm all over the place on this on this. So, okay, so he had a young love. So Let's he had a young love. He had a young love. He okay, he gets married, they get divorced, he moves from Europe to the United States and he moves into the house of one Charlotte Hayes, who is a widow and who has a daughter named Dolores Hayes, uh, hereafter Lolita. Okay. Who reminds him a lot of Annabelle. And okay. is just, he's he's just infatuated with this nymphette. So why is he in their house? Is he a teacher? Is He, he is renting a room from them. Okay, okay. And he's a, he's a writer, I guess, and he's just renting it so he can write. So from his perspective, I, I'm trying... Um, he was in love with someone. He comes across someone who reminds him of that person, and it's transferred. And then any other inappropriateness is irrelevant because of his desire for that person. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. And it, and he, the thing that he invokes a couple of times is like the Greek, <clears throat> the Greek relationship between, okay, adults and children, like. That modern society has kind of imposed all of these limitations and and um, what's the word I want to like they, like they've um, our morals and mores are are too strict right now. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It's just that we've made this forbidden, even though in you know in former times and other societies it has been considered acceptable. I feel and like that's, that gr- that's kind of the. At least here at the beginning, that's like the core excuse that he cites. I feel like his that Greek argument, kids. that Greek argument, is in particular frustrating because what it, you know, the, the shorthand that's there is, well, we liked all these other things that the Greeks did. You aren't allowed to tell me that this thing that we think they did is 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 bad because the Greeks were great. They're Greek. Don't we love their plays? Don't we love their democracy, <laughs> etc. Um. Okay, so he becomes infatuated with Dolores. Why does why does he start calling her Lolita? How does that happen? Um, she's got a bunch of different nicknames like Lo, okay. Lola. It's just kind of a combination of all those things. And part of the part of the um wordplay throughout the book is like him taking her real name, like and and different nicknames of hers, like Dolly is another one and and um peppering them throughout the prose and like and like using different different nicknames in the same sentence to like vary up the language i don't know it's like have you ever written something and you notice that you you've used the same word like in two sentences in a row and so you try and grab it yeah, yeah. and change the other word it's like <laughs> that's how her her nicknames are sometimes used in this okay. book by Humber. that's a good allegory so like what happens what is their relationship when i've read about the book it's you know it obviously hinges on this sexual relationship or lustful relationship but what i was reading about the book is that it's less like graphic than one might expect but that there, there really aren't sex scenes or at least not many of them like it's so it's so coded in euphemism yeah that you and, don't you don't get a lot of graphic stuff that would I mean as uncomfortable as this book made me sometimes like it you don't you're not reading about this grown like thirty eight year old man having sex with a kid yeah it's not often. it's not disgusting in that overt way yeah it's just it's any time you think about what is actually happening on the page that's when it's disgusting <laughs> so what else happens that we might need to know to to keep talking about here's the thing i'm gonna i'm gonna try and run through everything pretty quickly so okay humber humber is living in charlotte hayes's house with charlotte and dolores uh lolita goes to camp charlotte declares her undying love for humbert they get married okay problematic contemplates 
drowning her. What? At one point, like, he just contemplates murdering her so he can be alone with her daughter. And he doesn't do it because he thinks he's such a great guy that he just can't murder somebody. Like, he couldn't live with himself. Of course. Man, that's that's the core thing about him is that he just, he thinks he's a good person in a way that I think everybody thinks that they're a good person. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing, Andrew. I'm hearing like what Nabokov is up to, right? Is a person with a tragic flaw. Like this person who sees all of their actions through a particular light and does not is is incapable of considering them from another perspective. Sure. Which is going to send them down this terrible path, but otherwise they view, you know, and not otherwise, completely view themselves in high esteem and and think, you know, rightly of themselves. Well, and he even, you know, he even acknowledges that that this is a vice and a sin, but, but he, you know, that's as far as he goes. Like he doesn't actually stop. Like there, there are yeah, points yeah. where he hopes that it will stop or something, but it, you know, every every time he has a house like across from a school or something, he's gonna be there, like scanning for nymphets like just trying to find some and he can't stop yeah he can't stop his attention from falling on what it's going to fall on unfortunately yeah Yeah. so like he he knows that it's bad or at least that society can considers it bad but he can't really stop himself so they they get married he considers murdering her but he can't because he's a good guy she figures (laughs) out that she figures out that he is really into her 12-year-old daughter. No. And she is going to leave him and 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 take Lolita and just go. But fortuitously, she is hit by a car as she's crossing a street and she dies. Which leaves Humbert Humbert as Lolita's father. Figure. Oh, jeez. So he goes, he grabs her from camp and they start you know, doing a road trip across the U.S. and their relationship becomes sexual pretty soon after. And she's 13, 12 at this point? She's 12. Okay. And um, she kind of initiates it, but, you know, he's he's made his intentions clear. Well, and it's... I was, I've been thinking about this also. It's from his perspective, right? Yes. Like, in the first person. Mm-hmm. So any version of events that we see is inherently biased so right are there points in the book where that's more overt or is that just kind of the general feel that we are looking at we are looking through humbert colored glasses you know what i mean (laughs) yeah he's Everything you get is from his perspective. And so you don't really know how Lolita feels about their relationship most of the time. You get snippets. Like he just casually tosses off at one point that pretty much every night after she thinks he's asleep, he hears her crying. Like it's, it's pretty clear that she is not as into him as he is into her. Of course. But like it, I don't know. Like they, they start, you know, they start having sex, traveling across the country, and he, he's he takes issue with with all the stuff that she does. Like she just wants to eat candy and go see movies and read magazines, and he gets frustrated with her because of that. And it's and it's like, yeah, dog, she's twelve. Oh no! <laughs> like, what do you think she's gonna do? She's a kid. She's gonna have these these kid impulses and kid preferences. Oh man, I can't oh, that, even. That's go- one of the most uncomfortable right now. Yeah, that's one of the most uncomfortable things is just when he's he's complaining about her being immature, basically. And yeah, she's immature because she's a kid. Yeah, I feel like there's already a trope. There's like a there's a caveman trope of the man who's like, I want to have sex and my wife has feelings like that's like the worst stereotype already and then it's like yeah but she's also like playing with toys it's like (laughs) it's awful that is awful 
Um, so yeah, they they travel across the United States for a while, which actually it mirrors Nabokov's real world traveling across the U.S. Oh, really? To, to do you know to to do the lecture circuit, basically. Are there any like um, interesting? I know it's set in what's it's in like fifties America, right? Is there anything about that that feels like specific to the book? Does that you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not it's not a travel book, I don't think, because you you spend so much time wrapped up in okay, fair enough. Humbert and what Humbert's thinking, like the like the journey is important only insofar as it's important to the relationship between him and Lolita. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you get, you know, so you get a lot of descriptions of a lot of different places in America, but it kind of takes a backseat to what else is going on. Yeah. Um, they settle in new England for a couple of years. She goes to school. He kind of successfully passes as her, her sort of traditional hard nosed father. Sure. Cause he doesn't really want her to go out and hang out with boys. Uh huh. And, and, you know, anybody who could be a challenge to him, uh, sexually, romantically. And it, it is that point, like, that is a possible thing because she's being a teenager and people are interested in her. Yeah, et cetera, at this point, she's like 13, 14. Okay. And, um, she convinces him to let her go out for the school play. The play is written by a guy named, uh, Claire Quilty. And he sees her acting and takes an interest in her. And shortly after this happens, she convinces Humbert to take her on another road trip. And on this road trip, they are being kind of tailed by somebody. And Humbert is getting more and more paranoid. And eventually, Lolita escapes Humbert, who who up to this point has been kind of keeping her under his control by basically threatening to put her in a foster home like if you turn me into the cops you're gonna become a ward of the state and and that's a terrible fate for anyone yeah you're gonna lose all your stuff and nobody's gonna love you and blah blah blah. um yeah quilty gets her away from him just takes her away and he spends a, a couple years searching for her and just can't find her and and he can't find her until he gets a letter from her. He tracks her down based on like the postmark. Like she doesn't give him an address because she doesn't want him to find her. No, of course not. But he looks at the postmark and does a bunch of deduction and finds where she lives. Uh, at this point, she's 17. She's married to some army guy who lost his hearing, at least in the in World War II. I think okay. is, is when the timing would work out to be. Yeah, I mean he's uh, he's a little ways older than her at that point, but nowhere near as old as Humbert is. Yeah, um, yeah. She's seventeen. She's pregnant. She's married. He tries to get her to come away for with him. She she says no. He figures out from her that Quilty is the one who took her. He goes. He kills Quilty. Whoa. And he's just like this. This last part of the book, he is. You know, he's. He makes casual references to how drunk he is. He's just, he becomes more and more unhinged as the book continues. Yeah, of course. So he kills Quilty and then is finally arrested for driving on the wrong side of the road. And that's when he's thrown in jail and when he writes these memoirs. And um, he says he does not want these to see the light of day until he is dead and Lolita's dead. He dies shortly after finishing writing and Lolita dies in childbirth at the age of 17. Okay. And that's kind of it. N- neat, I guess. Uh, it's, it's a challenging book. It's do, okay. It's, Taking, do you, th- <laughs> And it's a hard book to talk about because like we, like we said, like a lot of the time the discussion around a book like this would be about, you know, how does the author put us into the mind of this monstrous person and make us like sympathize. Like there was a, um, 
this this made me think of a this American Life episode from a while back that uh, uh-huh. talked to a bunch of people who were pedophiles in that they were attracted to kids, but that they had like vowed to never actually act on them. Like they they had formed like in this this online support group. And they were just, they were trying to, trying to not hurt anybody. And that, yeah. that segment, even though, you know, everybody who appeared in it, of course, like not real names, names changed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, voices changed, that kind of stuff. But, you know, when the segment is introduced, your, your gut reaction is like, oh my God, these, these terrible people. It's you know what 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 excuse can there it. be for yeah, them? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Stop it! Stop and, it! And as the segment goes on, it's like you you I don't know because we've we've talked before on the show about how like people are kind of into whatever what they're into sexually. Yes, we try to, we try to keep an open mind about people. And I I don't know maybe even going maybe the Fifty Shades of Grey episode is the best example of this, but. Yeah, man. <laughs> so I think to some extent, you just can't. You just can't control what. No, you, you can't. have a physical reaction to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so guess, this this yeah. the this American Life segment took these people who, that is what they had a physical reaction to, and they just they are. They hate it, and they would do anything to feel differently, and they just don't. And yeah. It does a lot to engender sympathy, at least for these people, you know, this subset of that, of that subset. Yeah, because you, know? you have to be, you, you, morally, I find myself already wanting to walk a very fine line because you start the, you don't want to not have any sympathy for those guys, right? right. Um, but the second that you have just an ounce too much for anyone with that proclivity, it feels easier to defend them should something happen. You right, know, right, like I was yeah. I was reading about critical reviews to this book and there were plenty of people who, you know, kind of took it at face value and and saw and kind of believed in Humbert's own like self narrative of his descent. You know, that... and I re- I really don't think that's how you're meant to take it. <clears throat> no, like, I, I think I, don't you, think so. I think you are meant to dislike Humbert, and th- and, that's and it's yeah, very and he's, different. He's just yeah. so throughout throughout the book, he's so full of himself, like talking about how handsome he is and how smart he is, and it just I think that Nabokov is doing everything he can to make this guy as repulsive as he is. There's a deliberate irony to it, I think. Um but I also, it's tricky, right? Because he doesn't, he probably doesn't want you to sympathize with him. He's not trying to make him more palatable. It's not that type of story. It's the type of story where you show something dark and bad in human nature and present opportunities to to find similarities to other behavior we kind of said that earlier right like if you if you want to reduce it he's driven by desire is it a perverse desire yes but there are plenty of other stories where dude wants a girl and does a bunch of stuff to get her and those stories some of them we like because the dude's cool and he's not doing anything wrong and some of them we don't like that guy because he ends up killing a bunch of nice fine people and that's how those stories go that's, but yeah i mean it's it's that's interesting because i think a lot of the time when you look at those kind of rom commy yeah kind of things like often the protagonist is doing something that is objectively creepy yes yes like if you like look at i don't know i just want to i'm just gonna pluck like sleepless in seattle out of thin air <laughs> Like Meg Ryan hears this dude on the radio talking about how his wife has died <laughs> and she tracks him down and like 
makes him fall for her or whatever. And in the movie, it's supposed to be like, oh, my God, it's so romantic. It's so great. But if you think about it, it's creepy. You just compare Tom Hanks to Lolita. Yeah. He just drew a line between Humbert Humbert and Meg Ryan. I don't like, oh my I God. would like to think that that's the first time that that's happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, were, I read a, rev- I read something about, um, let's go down this path. This is far more entertaining and easier for me. To oh palette. yeah. No, I can't laugh oh, about man. pedophiles. Uh, no, I, uh, I was reading an article about how to lose a guy in 10 days. I don't know if you remember that gem from 2002 or three. Did you figure out lose a guy in 10 days? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, but that like the, terrible crassness of that premise where like this woman wants to write an art like you know is forced to write this article about living all of the female stereotypes and then this guy wants to make money so he's gonna date a girl for 10 days and it's like just the worst it's the worst evil premise about relationships and yet it is a romantic comedy because they end up together at the end um so i i think it's interesting the there was a review in i think when the book came out um in the new york times book review that kind of took the tragic comedy element of lolita in stride like i, I want to read the quote um humbert is the hero with the tragic flaw he is every man who is driven by desire wanting his lolita so badly that it never occurs to him to consider her as a human being or as anything other but a dream figment made flesh which is the eternal and universal nature of passion and that's elizabeth jane way i think writing in 50 somewhere in the 50s um i don't know i think it's interesting to consider what Nabokov might be commenting on by using something so incendiary. Right, because people, I mean, people can have all kinds of tragic flaws. I could have a tragic flaw where I just like pie too much. Yeah. Like in that Shel Silverstein poem. Is that one? Where that guy, yeah, that guy says, I, if I have another piece of pie, I'll die. But if I don't have another piece of pie, I'll die. So he eats a piece of pie. So he eats a pie and then he dies. Yeah, man. That's just like Lolita. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that you know what I mean? It's like he puts it in a context where we can, where every step of the way we know it's terrible. And then I imagine there's stuff in the book that with enough consideration you can see as analogous to other more acceptable human behavior. Or at least understandable human behavior. Yeah, like if make Lolita twenty six, and have him have everything else happen the same in the book, and it's and it still could be creepy. I guess like it could be the tale of a guy having a relationship with this woman who doesn't who's not really into it. But I can see how you know if she's of the if she if she's of the age of consent like it can turn into a thing where she develops feelings for him and like i don't know like falls for him in the end or something i don't i don't know like it's it's and then it feels like a much more new, nuanced argument to say that there's something wrong with that character that feels like in a very modern context there would be plenty of backlash against that type of story you know yeah. um and that is not wrong that's just where we are in the zeitgeist where a story like that completely in a vacuum is kind of judged harshly where this one came out of the gate 50, 60 years ago. And everyone was like, Nope, this is terrible. We can all agree. This is bad. No one wants this. Yeah. Just, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's like I said, it's a, it's a hard book to talk about because I mean, mostly because of the subject matter. It's just, I don't know. Humbert's Humbert's not a good guy. Like he's he's the protagonist who you can't root for. You don't want to root for. Is there nothing in the in his like voice that is kind of meant to be endearing is the wrong word, but uh, 
he's almost pleading with the reader to kind of see things from his perspective. And again, and again, I I brought up that thing earlier where he's talking about juries. Like he he is he is looking to the the reader who's who's in his mind reading this stuff after he has died, like to consider this stuff before they judge him fully. And interesting. I just I don't I mean he don't, I don't think he succeeds. I think that he. <laughs> I think that he's still a terrible, terrible guy and that there's just nothing. There's nothing that can excuse anything that he did. So separate, is it possible? And I've had this, I've had this converse, this type of conversation with other people with other stories. Is it possible for you to assess like the quality of the book separate from your, uh, distaste and like complete revulsion at Humbert. Oh yeah, I think that the book is is really great. I mean, it's 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 um it's it's well written and even though you don't sympathize with Humbert and I don't think you're meant to sympathize with Humbert. Mhm. Like the stuff that I don't know the stuff that he says, like the turns of phrase and stuff, make it a really entertaining book to read. Um, okay, that's yeah, yeah. That's from what I understand, Nabokov was more renowned for, or more interested in, even as a professor, language and structure than like more old fashioned character development. I think his his trilingual nature may have given him a penchant for being interested with how people talk and how thoughts are structured. Yeah. So let me, let me just read you a good sized chunk of this, of, of this book. So you get a sense of what it's like when Humbert is like addressing you directly. All right. Everybody brace yourselves. Here we go. <laughs> um, so this is, you know, this is, this is Lolita. This is just after their sexual relationship has kind of commenced. Uh, she had entered my world, Umber and Black Humberland, with rash curiosity. She surveyed it with a shrug of amused distaste, and it seemed to me now that she was ready to turn away from it with something akin to plain repulsion. Never did she vibrate under my touch, and a strident, what do you think you're doing, was all I got from my pains. To the wonderland I had to offer, my fool preferred the corniest movies, the most cloying fudge. To think that between a hamburger and a humburger, she would, invariably, with icy precision, plump for the former. There is nothing more atrociously cruel than an adored child. Um, oh, God. So, yeah, that's, that's like, that is exhibit A in the you fell in love with a kid, what do you think was going to happen? Thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, do not scowl at me, reader. I do not intend to convey the impression that I did not manage to be happy. Reader must understand that in the possession and thraldom of a nymphette, the enchanted traveler stands, as it were, beyond happiness. For there is no other bliss on earth comparable to that of fondling a nymphette. Mm. Despite our tips, despite her nastiness, despite all the fuss and faces she made, the vulgarity and the danger and the horrible hopelessness of it all, I still dwell deep in my elected paradise, a paradise whose skies were the color of hell flames, but still a paradise. The able psychiatrist who studies my case and whom by now Dr. Humbert has plunged, I trust, into a state of leprine fascination is no doubt anxious to have me take my Lolita to the seaside and have me find there at last the gratification of a lifetime urge and release from the subconscious obsession of an incomplete childhood romance with the initial little Miss Lee, who is his uh, first lover that we talked about earlier. Like he's, you get a lot of stuff in that passage. I mean, one is his assumed relationship with a reader of the book and one is... I don't know, like his acknowledgement that that there is something in him that is not considered right or normal. Yeah, but it's there's this weird sense of like the word ratification is interesting. The term elected paradise is interesting. What is, there's something he said earlier on that when he starts talking when he you first use the word nymphet, um, and when he's like, no, 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 don't worry, I'm super happy. People who do this sort of thing are always super happy. Like there's this element, I think as you've said before, of 
explanation that is like you simply you just don't understand people like me yeah and it's almost it's almost shifting blame onto the nymphet like oh the nymphets do this to people who are like me yeah 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 and that's that's actually what i was i was alluding to when people were taking it face value i think there's a reviewer named robertson davies who who kind of agreed with humbert in the sense that the child corrupted him rather than vice versa um in the way that you know viewing it more as how the a desirous thing can torture a person whereas the desire is what tortures everyone else yeah no i i totally i do not agree with that reading at all like i don't think nabokov agrees with that reading she she initiates their sexual relationship i think but he created that's that's all he wanted that's all he's wanted that's all he's insinuated that he's wanted and he takes it willingly like once it once it comes up like he is he is corrupt before that ever happens. He is he is corrupt when he moves in with Charlotte Hayes specifically because he thinks her daughter is super sexy. Her yeah, twelve year not, old daughter. Like he is Yeah, it's not like he, he is moves corrupt in beyond redemption yeah. before any of this ever happens. Interesting. Or at least I d I don't know, like beyond redemption maybe is it's too hard. Certainly within the confines of this book he is beyond redemption, but yeah, I don't think Nabokov agrees with that reading of the book either because uh, quotes I saw, he used the word, you know, cruel, wretch, and hateful person for this character he created. Um, so I, I think your take on it is certainly what Nabokov intended. Wretch is interesting. I think that wretch is used to signify somebody who you hate but who you pity simultaneously like and and it's yeah yeah pity pitying humbert is not the same as sympathizing with him yes and i think there's a lot of people who uh think there's in real life outside of the context of this book they pity people when they think they're sympathizing with them yeah um so this is kind of the reverse yeah Yeah. so i mean that you you have heard through that passage like how interesting the prose of this can't oh yeah, curious. it's like, fascinating. Like, like, like I, the the hamburger hum humber, humber Yeah, thing. and also there was something about umber and humbert earlier. Yeah, like he, I don't know. This the the wordplay is really fascinating, and that's that's one criticism of Nabokov that comes up is like that he is more in love with the mechanics of language and with the wordplay than he is with characterization. I don't think that's something that is a problem in this book, but if it, yeah, yeah. yeah. It helps because the whole book is from that character's perspective. So, um, but I mean, I I think that's most of what I have to talk about. I feel I I don't know that I've done this book justice necessarily, and we, you know, we we do justice to works with varying degrees of success on the show. <laughs> no, I mean, I think what's what we definitely covered, and I would be interested actually. We try to put this call out when it's relevant, and I think. This book in particular, for any listeners who have read it, I would love to hear reactions or whether or not you could read it. You know, like your experience, Andrew, of having to chunk through it. Like you couldn't, you couldn't just go. Like you had to take breaks. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to see if other people experience that, um, and just what their take on it was. We haven't really encountered a book like this yet i think yeah it's i mean it's a it's a great book i can it's totally clear to me why it's it belongs so high on so many people's best of lists but it's a rough book like it's a challenging book and not not in the reading but just in the subject matter it's it's i don't know it's just it's humbert is removed from from me and from like from from the experience of most people like he it's just it's it's not easy for me to to build a bridge out to him and like understand him where i think pretty much every other book that we've read for the show you can kind of do that and you're intended to do that you i want like yeah i wonder if the intent though is 
to to like have the book actually build those bridges out to you and kind of scare you a little bit you know rather than inviting you to sympathize with him i think it's more of a like holding up the mirror and saying like this is possible this is sure this is a possible endpoint for this type of behavior or or you know this is or even people. like what do you what do you feel this way about and yeah 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 like luck, lucky you that it's not something that's as socially reviled as as pedophilia but like what would you do in service of this thing well and and the like we said before there it could still be a sketchy relationship if she were 10 years older so then there's the whole like element of what it is to dominate another person and whether or not that's okay and what is consent and and the fact that it's not an objective narrator i think plays into that whole thing um i know they've made films of this book but a lot of what i was reading in prep kind of said that it needed to be it needs to be a subjective experience yeah like the second that you give lolita the character like independence from the narrator you've you've broken the story a little bit yeah yeah you really change the dynamics uh so yeah that's Lolita, i guess yeah i guess i i think we did a good job andrew i don't i don't think you need to worry i think you're okay with not wanting to talk about <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i would love to get emails about this and just hear what other people thought about this book you can email that stuff to us at overduepod at gmail.com uh, we also have a Facebook page up at facebook.com slash overdue pod and a Twitter account at twitter.com slash overdue pod. Um, yeah. You should feel free to contact us through any of those and just tell us what you think about Humbert Humbert, what you think about Lolita. Um, and yeah, just di- if you found this book challenging at all, I would love to hear from you because I, I, I feel like I need to share this experience with somebody. <laughs> We've gotten a lot of great, Twitter and Facebook love in the past couple weeks. I want to give a shout out to Veronica and Lee and Rose Moon and uh, Veronica again and Cleo and Sean and Lee and Alex. And there was another one I wanted to find. Uh, Wesley, um, Kara, lots of people giving us love over the holidays, which is a time when you could be thinking about people closer to you than us. Uh, So thank you for that. Andrew, if they wanted to find out other things about the show, where should they go? Uh, they should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. We have Amazon links up there to the books that we have read, that we are reading, that we are going to read. If you want to support the show, and you should, <laughs> um, you can <laughs> click those and buy the books and other stuff off of Amazon, and we get a tiny cut of that, and it helps defray our hosting costs and our book buying costs. Uh, we also have RSS and iTunes links that you can use to subscribe to the show. We've gotten a few great iTunes reviews in the last week or since the last time we recorded from the Kale Burrows, from Chef Price, and from Veggie Runt. Those are all really great to read, and thank you so much for writing them. Um, I want to give a shout-out to my sister, Jillian, who writes a book blog, and she gave us a shout-out because she went and she waited to read The Handmaid's Tale because it was on her list, but we did an episode. And then she wrote about it briefly. Uh, her blog is called The Book Allowance. Um, you should go check it out if you have time in between listening to us all the time. Um, Which is why you should be using all of your time for Basically. I don't know what else you're doing. Uh, so I'm working my way through Moby Dick for next week. I am you're very optimistic. I think I'm going to do it. it. There's a lot of stuff in that book, but we're going to get through it together. All right, Ishmael. Call me Ishmael. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is the last show we're going to record and post in 2014. It's been such a good year. It's been an amazing year. Thank you guys so much. It's so flattering and ridiculous that we hear from so many of you so regularly. Like, I don't, I don't know. I can't, I don't have anything to say. Except thank you for helping us conquer the 50 states of the United States. Everyone's (laughs) tuned in. We're all here. Next stop, Canada. We're coming for you. Yeah.
And then the world. <laughs> yeah, and, and just again, thank you so much for our great 2014 um, and, and hopefully an even better 2015. And I hope that in the new year, all of you guys can try to be happy. Thank you.